Hey, Sam. Hey, what's up, Chris? How you doing? Hey, man, you want a beer? Wait, you brought beer? Yeah, I brought beer this time. I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah, I'll take a beer. Yeah, what yeah, you yeah. Got? Um, I have an Old English 800. Um, I thought you said you brought beer. Hey, man, take what you get, man. <sighs> All right, give me one. Here you go. Digital Noise, the Sam and Chris episode. Ooh. We sound like we should be a musical act on the road. Sam know? and Chris. Sam and Chris, we're back again, singing and dancing. Wait, why is my name first? Isn't usually like Chris, like alphabetical? Well, Sam and Chris has a better ring Sam to and it. Chris, yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's like Sam and Dave, you know, Sam and Chris. I don't know what that is. Yeah, uh, I don't know. Sam and Dean, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah. Say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sam and Dean. Sammy! We're basically the same thing as Sam and Dean. Yeah, I, w- I think so, except neither one of us Jew- is Jewish, black, or has a glass eye. Yeah. or We're both alcoholics, though. That's true. Yeah. We got that going for us. I do think it's funny that apparently uh, uh, Dean Dino never really drank alcohol on stage. That was like, oh, really? I mean, he was a big alcoholic, make no mistake, but whenever he was actually performing, it was always apple juice. Ha, really? Yep. yep. I love apple he juice. He was consummate professional. I can get drunk off apple juice. If you, like, you know, make it into apple Sugar jack. drunk. <laughs> when, when I was in private school, they used to have a giant barrel of cider they would set out outside, and uh, like, for Christmas. And then they would just not do anything about it. It would just sit there, because, I don't know, the staff was lazy or whatever. So people would go in there and, like, drain it off, and then turn it into apple liquor which is just like you freeze it break off the, you know let it ferment and then freeze it break off the ice freeze it break off the ice and you end up with the most disgusting fucking liquor you've ever had in your life mm. but it worked yeah <laughs> and, it does the job when you're in private school in the middle of nowhere that is quite frankly all you give a shit about the more you know guys the more you know dun, dun, dun. Well, we will, uh, yeah, so the cats are discovering all sorts of new and exciting things and taking them off into corners of the house to hide them. <laughs> so there might be occasional bursts of strange noise. Apologies. But, uh, this week we are going to be doing the letters, but, uh, a little bit towards the end of the show, we're going to come back to that. Before we get started, just want to say thank you to all you subscribers out there. We really appreciate, uh, I can't tell you how much we appreciate you helping us keep the site going. You really are the ones helping us keep the lights on. Uh, of course, the original gentleman now is bi-weekly in there with myself, Martin, and assorted guests that will be going up every week for brown coat level and above. And then every week is the Breakfast Pub with Brian Salisbury and I doing the, our weekly news roundup that we're, another show we're very proud of, along with other commentary and assorted after-show stuff and more stuff coming on the way that we've already got planned. We hope to make it more than worth your while. Also, if you go to the actual Digital Noise page, you will see a whole bunch of pictures of the titles of movies and TV shows we're reviewing this week. If you click on any of said titles, it will bring you to the assorted Amazon, that uh, associated Amazon page where you can buy it from there. And if you do buy it from our link, we get a nice little kickback from that. But that's not all. If you buy anything on Amazon after starting from one of our links, like you're there and you like go, oh, maybe I'll buy a, a 
Kitty documentary, part 17, <laughs> The Revenge. And uh, you get there and you go, you know what? What the fuck was I thinking? I'm not going to buy Kitty documentary, part 17, The Revenge. But I do need a new computer. You keep going on Amazon from that link and uh, and buy that computer, and boy, we get a nice little chunk of change from that. So we really can't – I can't tell you how much we appreciate it when you make a point of doing that sort of thing. Buy a spatula. But you know what? Every, if you need an extra spatula, dude, everybody needs multiple spatulas. Because, yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I like just will rinse stuff off and put it in the dishwasher. Right. And I need a spatula three or four times a week, which means three yeah. or four spatulas. Right. Yeah. And they of, have to be good quality. And of multiple sizes. Because you got to right. have the big long one, you got to have the big fat one, you got to right. have the little tiny one. What are we talking about again? Oh, yeah, movies. Oh, yeah. We're here for movies, and we're here to do the reviews. And we're going to start off with a movie that I actually didn't get sent, but Brian did get sent, and he said, Chris, will you please, please cover this movie, because that's going to be a while before my next show. And that is The Hunger Games Mockingjay Part 1, which has now come out on Blu-ray and DVD and probably Superman Crystals, I don't know. Uh, did you get to see this one in the theater? I did. I saw did. this one in I the theater. I figured you did. You seem like you see everything that I, comes out in the I theater. I do. I like to see things up and up close. I'm like the guy who sits right near the front, too. Oh, you're the you're like the second row Not the row front guy. front, but like, yeah, third back or something. Oh, good Lord. I, I, I only do that at like Fast and the Furious movies. Well, yeah. Yeah, where I want to or be animated movies are completely engaged. Yeah. But uh, this is the third film, and should have been the final film, if you go by the book numbers, in the uh, Hunger Games yeah. uh, quadrilogy. They split up Mockingjay, the book, into two volumes. And I think, in my opinion, this is where this film made a huge mistake. Because Mockingjay already is a little bit talky. And this first half is the talky bit. It's one of those talky pictures. It's one of those talking pictures. Oh, talky God. pictures you kids are into. These I days. love your high trousers. <laughs> <laughs> those are some nice knickerbockers you got there. No, yeah, go on. Sorry. <laughs> no, it's all right. I, I really thought the last one was damn good. I really I love the last the hell one. Out of Catching it. fire. Yeah, oh, it was excellent. It was better than the first one. It fixed a lot of the problems that the mm. first one had. Whereas this one, I mean, even though it starts, you know, right from a cliffhanger. And ends on one of the worst, dumbest, who gives a shit cliffhangers ever. <laughs> right. Like, I don't know if you felt that way. I was like, well, I don't care about yeah. that, what happens to that guy. Right. Uh, now she's like, Katniss is full on uh, working for the rebellion and like trying to take down the bad guys by force of media. <laughs> so maybe not as exciting as the previous films. Welcome to the world of politics. Let's make a Hunger Games film if it was more like Network. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know what the hell is going on there, but um, it leaves you feeling a little like, let's move this along right. as you're watching it. But the worst of it really is that she goes from this very strong woman trying to help everyone, you know, a maternal instinct for almost everybody, to this person who's willing to throw everyone under the bus if it means doing anything she can to even plausibly help out her boy toy, PETA. Right. You know, it's, who's been, who hasn't, who did not get saved at the end of the last film, but was abducted, taken away by the, the villainous government. Right. And the, the ways that she's like, they're like, look, we've got people dying everywhere. It's like, yes, I know that, but uh, we need to go rescue PETA. I'd be like, what? <laughs> I, I wanted to raise my but hand and go, Peter. how is PETA helping? <laughs> right. PETA makes bread. 
I know. Peter's like, look, you've got another boyfriend who, by the way, is much better looking and cooler than Peter. Yeah, but is he more interesting? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that too, actually. He's yeah. got a good personality. Yeah, I mean, what is Peter? Peter does nothing except be nostalgic for some shit that happened, like, when they were both kids. You right. Know? He's working on that nostalgia. He's just, he needs to be saved. That's his defining quality. He, he can paint himself into camouflage, but that's not going to help you anymore. <laughs> no, not Since really. the games are done. Uh, yeah, I just, I found that this movie made me start really not liking Katniss. Yeah. Of just like, you're just, you don't really care about this rebellion. You don't seem to give a shit. Uh, you're just in, in so absorbed with teenage shit that I'm like, okay, you stopped being human to me and just became a character in a YA novel. Right. I think, uh. I think that's fine, like, in in some ways. I mean, you you listen to, or you watch a lot of these YA adaptations, and they're supposed to be kids. Yeah. They're supposed to act that way. And sometimes they make stupid decisions based on love, but... In this case... <clears throat> she's supposed to have grown up, and it doesn't seem like she's growing up. It also seems like... I mean, I was, like, not looking forward to this movie, because after Catching Fire, it's like, oh, wait, no more games? Yeah. Now, well, I haven't read the book, so I don't know. There might be more well, games. You think, like, going into open, violent, one's rebellion versus the government thing, but, I mean, that's it would be weird. like a Terminator type Presumably situation. Presumably that's going in the next... The, the have you read half. the books? I have, but I barely remember uh, this yeah. one. I, it's funny, because I remembered both of the first two just fine and really yeah. enjoyed reading them, and this one I just kind of barely got through. I, was like, oh, I think it has to do with, like, not being involved with the games. Once you're done with the games... I feel like that's like the the element that really made this franchise stand out. I don't know. And, and when you when it starts being to the point where we have to go, okay, now let's take a look at what these people would actually do. Uh, the writer, the writer's goals for their demographics start shining through in a very uncomfortable way. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say this is a terrible movie. It's still better than ninety nine percent of the YA adaptations Agreed. out there. But in in definition, compared to the previous Hunger Games films, this is. Easily the weakest of the three. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I just and not enough Hamish Abernathy. What the fuck? You're like Woody Harrelson shows up like kind of briefly. And oh yeah. He, I'm like, look, you guys don't really get this whole how much we love Woody Har- Harrelson thing, do you? <laughs> not enough Philip Seymour Hoffman. Oh yeah, he should have come back for reshoots. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, the whole time, I couldn't think of anything else when I was watching. I was like, every time oh. he was on screen, it brought everything down. Are they? Is he gonna? Are they gonna CGI him in the second next one? Or uh, apparently, they had pre-shot. Most oh, they of shot the footage. Most of it. Oh, okay. So, like, uh, I, apparently, there's very little shooting around. They had to do. Uh, I thought a good addition was Natalie Dormer as Cressida, uh, who is one of the badass rebellion chicks, and who, of course, is Mar- Marguerite Tyrell. She's on the Game producer. Huh? She's like a news producer. Yeah, she's like, like a news producer, but a but, badass yeah, like punk it. rock news right. producer. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, no, that, I mean, she was a good addition. Uh, uh, I don't know. I want, I'm trying to find more good things to say about this. Honestly, <laughs> you know, if you're, you're probably going to watch this no matter what anybody says about this if you've seen the first two. And, and you should, in the hopes that maybe the third one is going to be... Or the fourth one is going to to wrap it up with a nice little bow, but overall a disappointment. It comes with a commentary with the director and producer, uh, a making of Mockingjay Part One that is over two hours long. 
<laughs> and features. Uh, Straight from the Heart, a tribute to Philip Seymour Hoffman, about 11 minutes long. Uh, Songs of Rebellion, Lord, on creating the soundtrack. Apparently that musician of the name Lord. Not Lord! A little, little bit vain, if you ask me. I am but. Lord. <laughs> I am Lord. Hello. I am the Lord. Now, have you seen that South Park where, uh, what's this, uh... Stan's dad plays Lord. No. He's Lord. Oh, okay. Well, sorry. Inside joke there. But yeah, yeah. It's like a joke that Lord is, that he he's playing Lord. He's like an 18-year-old girl, but he's, forget it. He's forget. Lord is actually Sam's dad. Uh, or Stan's dad. Stan's yeah. dad. Yeah. I have not seen it. I'm like two seasons Check behind. Check it out. Uh, 11 minutes of deleted scenes, uh, Lord, Yellow Flicker Beast music video, and a sneak peek at uh, the next uh, Insurgent, which, bleh, who cares? Wait, is that the Divergent? Uh, yes, Divergent Insurgent. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> that Divergent Insurgent. Sound, it's a musical this time. Yeah. Insurgent. <laughs> I mean, like you said, yeah, this is way better than most of the YA stuff. So well, You know what? But let's look at maybe the greatest YA film of all time, and that is getting <laughs> yet another double-dip release on Blu-ray. That is The Breakfast Club from 1985. Yeah. I mean, this to me is the defining teenager film, like as artful as probably it's ever been done. There right. are certainly some other good ones out there, some other very good ones, but The Breakfast Club, I mean, call it uh, the... You know the cost of being of my generation, but this struck multiple chords with me when I saw this. Right, it wasn't my generation, but I can see the appeal. Yeah, of your generation. <laughs> my generation's uh, was heavyweights. What? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I love heavyweights. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> you, Je- oh my god, Jed Apatow's first movie you wrote no i never oh, even okay. heard of that okay go check it out okay yeah i want to now anyway sorry i, uh, no, that's, I, mean, I learned something <laughs> the more i know uh this is john hughes at the height of his powers starring emilio estevez paul gleason anthony michael hall john capelos john judd nelson molly ringwald and ali sheehy now the reason this is getting re-release is because they just did a total remaster on this film that's coming out in theaters and this ain't it. <laughs> this is the previous edition huh. that they have added a trivia track to. Ooh, which, I watched it with that. Did you? Okay, because I, I want to ask you about that. That is honestly, when people say, we get occasionally the question, what's some of your favorite special features? And I always say trivia track, and hardly anybody ever does it. But I love to be able to, you know, that way you can watch the extra without having to spend time watching the extra. You can just put on the subtitles right. for it and go. I um, agree. It's a good feature. Yeah. Uh, this, of course, is about these five teenagers, each of a very specific high school clique, who ha- is are stuck in detention together and uh, and basically shine through all their stereotypes and bring out their stereotypes and end up becoming friends. Uh, and I, you know, I, it is to me, it is like one of the defining high school films. Um, I think it even holds up. It's funny though because I showed it to my girlfriend and she was like, meh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> really? I was like, all right, we have to watch Weird Science then. <laughs> See, I feel like, yeah, I feel like uh, I, I agree with you completely, and I, and I didn't realize like because I had seen it when I was in high school, and I didn't realize rewatching it like how adult it really is. Though, I mean, it, you don't see a lot of high school movies these days that have even cursing in them, right? Um, and, th- and that was refreshing. And the dialogue, I mean, man, he's the master. So I mean, that's smart. all the movie is. Yeah, he's the David Mamet of teenagers talking to each other. Absolutely, for yeah. um, Now, this is admittedly already a pretty darn good transfer. It looks pretty good. Um, uh, 
it's got a lot of extra features that were on the uh, uh, previous one, including like a 12-part featurette thing called Sincerely Yours. Hmm. A feature commentary with Judd Nelson and Anthony Michael Hall. Really? Molly Ringwald and Ali Sheehy were too busy and Emilio Estevez. I mean, <laughs> seriously, is Emilio Estevez even alive? <laughs> <laughs> He's still making movies, isn't he? Is he? Something? I thought Men at Another Work Mighty Ducks was his or last something? film. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. Maybe he changed... He's directing movies, I heard right? at one point he was going to change his name to uh, Emilio Sheen. Nah. Uh, yeah. What, in the 80s or now? Huh? What? No, now? no, no, no. Oh, no, no, no. It was the other way around. It was Charlie Sheen was going to change his name to Charles to Estevez. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Carlos Estevez. Yeah, which, you know, probably a good idea at this point. Yeah. <laughs> he wants to lay low a little bit. Uh, there's a feature called The Most Convenient Definitions, The Origins of the Brat Pack. Uh, and like I said, that trivia track. How is the trivia track? It's great. Um, Did you if, learn anything? If new? you want to know little, there's little tidbits, and they have little like pictures of behind the scenes. The pictures are too small. I wish there was a way you could like click in and see the pictures a little bigger, like <laughs> in the movie. That's kind of distracting, but they're 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 pretty good. And I would say, uh, you know, they give you little factoids. Did you want to know that Anthony Michael Hall's mom in the movie is his actual mom? That drops him off at the beginning. I did not know that. <laughs> well, now you know. Oh, I mean, it's cool too. That. There's some good stuff. Like the whole set is it, it. It's not an actual library. They dress it to be like a library. It's actually a gymnasium that they dress to be like a library because the actual library wasn't big enough. So oh. there's like interesting things like that. But yeah, it's it's definitely uh, worth watching if you've seen breakfast club before and want to just know more about it and this is one of the most quotable movies of all time eat my shorts what about you dad (laughs) (laughs) i mean i mean judd nelson kills it man i can't say enough about him this was his star making turn right where everyone in the world knew who judd nelson was after this only to forget him not that long afterwards be a maniac i mean what other are great judd nelson films maniac was he in the original Maniac? Yeah. Was that him? Or not Maniac. Uh, shit. <laughs> I'm drawing a blank here. Same director, different movie. Oh, God. He was not in Pretty in Pink. He was not in Weird Science. He was not in Sixteen Maniac. Candles. He was not in Baby's Day Out, I don't think. Oh, I'm drawing a blank here. Wait, hit up, hit up his... Thing real quick. His thing. Oh, his hit thing. His thing. Ow, don't hit my thing. I'm hit bad. I'm Judd Nelson. My shit is bad enough already. Uh... I mean, he's in New Jack City, which was which was awesome in its way. Cocaine I, is hell of a drug. Uh, I thought St. Elmo's Fire was crap, but it made a lot of money when it came out. Uh, what, what am I thinking, thinking of? Relentless, relentless. That was by. Have you John seen Re- Hughes? No, 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 no not William the same director. Uh, the same director as Maniac. Is I, I don't think you've I never saw seen that? Relentless. Oh God! Well, my friend, my friend <laughs> showed Robert it to Lugia. me, and it was like a, a little unseen gen. So yeah, you oh, should... and Judd Nelson is the killer. He's the killer. Oh, He's amazing. I do want to see that now. There's a... It's funny thinking about that because he was such an icon, and then actually looking at his career, you're like, wow, you actually didn't have a lot yeah. of. Really, it's the Breakfast Club, and then everything else is stuff you've barely heard of, right? You know, or they're like weird later and uncomfortable in his career appearances and stuff right. like uh, Airheads. Snuff films. <laughs> snuff films. He did a lot of snuff films. He's still it? acting. Huge list of films. I mean, nowadays, these kind, those kind of actors get like straight to video. I mean, like, look, Nurse 3D. That's like stunt casting. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, casting. he was in Nurse, which was awful. Oh, yeah, I didn't see that one. <laughs> well, anyway, uh, as far as what the kids are supposed to be watching... 
they w- the studios were trying to tell them it was the new remake of Annie. Right. Uh, I don't think they listened. <laughs> actually, they very well might have. I think it actually did pretty well. Yeah, it was a sixty-five million budget, made one hundred and thirty-four point five million. That's respectable yeah, yeah. enough. I mean, yeah. not what they were hoping for, probably, but still. And this is a modern-day reinvention of the classic musical a Little Orphan, based on the cartoon strip Little Orphan Annie, which takes place during the Great Depression. Because of that, there's a couple songs that had to be cut entirely because they were so focused on about the Great Depression. Hmm. Like we're in the Great Depression, <laughs> everyone has polio. What? <laughs> yeah, well, maybe not that specific. <laughs> but like a song that's about Herbert Hoover... Like, yeah. there's probably not, like, a little black kid from the projects who's going to be singing yeah. that. Yeah, but I don't even know how the original goes. <laughs> I'm looking up on Wikipedia <laughs> all about oh. Hoover Hoover. That's Hoover Hoover. I love him. <laughs> uh, but they try really hard to consistently reference the original film in ways that some yeah. of which are kind of funny. Like, it starts with, like, a little redheaded, very classic Annie in school right. doing a little song and dance number, basically, for her class uh, on the about the Depression. Uh-huh. And then it goes to Aunt, as they call her, which just like, oh, you just shrink. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> they say, okay, Annie B. I say, like, Annie B? Annie. You mean Annie Black? That's the elephant in the room, guys. We got Annie B. <laughs> uh, Quivet, Quivet, uh, fuck. I told myself I was going to look up how to pronounce Quivet it. Wallace. Is that how you say it? Mm hmm. Okay, from now I learned, on, you're back in when she was nominated. <laughs> back when she was nominated for an Oscar, I had to. Uh... Which that movie was amazing. Oh yeah, East of the Southern good. Wild. Has she done anything besides she these did two? One other thing. I mean, this is definitely a big role for her. Yeah, well, supposed I mean, to be uh, a singing, Willow singing Smith. and dancing uh, role, as it were. Oh, she was on Dancing with the Stars. She was yeah. in Twelve Years a Slave. Oh yeah, she's a little girl now. I forgot yeah. about that. Uh, anyway, uh, so. Like, she is leading as Annie as a little girl who's living in a foster home run by a not sure she's in the same movie as everybody else, Cameron Diaz. Whereas everybody else is kind of playing that... Per- is it really... The, I think the best thing about this movie is the performances, with the exception of Cameron Diaz. Because everybody so else good. gets the right tone mm-hmm. of, like... It's modern day, so never nobody's in a super hyperbolic thing. They're just kind of playing these characters that are somewhere between real life and musical life. Right. Where she's like full-blown, I think I'm this... in a cartoon. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, to such an irritating extent. She's like, ah, I'm an alcoholic and I'm disappointed by the way my life turned out. Right. I was supposed to be an actress, so I'm going to abuse these children. Okay. So uh, she's a friend. Annie, of course, is like all sunshine and rainbows all the time, which... I could see why I'm confused why no one had killed her up until this point. (laughs) Uh, But she ends up getting in a situation where uh, a, you know, the richest guy in the city, if not the world played by Jamie Foxx, who is, you know, not, not doesn't really like people and is a germaphobe and generally a misanthrope uh, ends up for political reasons because he saves her and a camera catches it, saves her from getting hit by a car, camera catches it. And she's, like, you know, I mean, she's Annie. She's being charming for the camera, and the press eats it up. And his advisor, uh, played by Bobby Cannavale, is like, hey, you should totally, like, you know, maybe let her stay in your house for a while. I like, give her a little vacation. And he, of course, becomes, ends up becoming totally charmed by little orphan Annie, who herself is, and this is the drama that's there, is that she still insists that her parents were going to come back for her someday, so she's constant, she, she's determined to find them, which leads to a subplot with uh, Miss Hannigan, uh, Cameron Diaz, 
and Bobby Cannavale trying to make money off of setting up fake parents. Although that's very confusing in this film. Right. I was like, wait, why are they... What is the point? How does that give you money? How does it benefit you? I'm very unclear on this. Though the, though the funniest part of the movie is... Uh that I think that like audition scene where he's just like walking through and they're all like practicing what they'd say to her. That's kind of a clever scene. Right. Um, but yeah, otherwise this movie, um, doesn't, isn't too clever on trying to, I mean, I, it doesn't try to update it in a clever way. I feel like it, the only the only way these movies like remake older movies is by adding stuff like the internet, right? Stuff right. like that, which is fine, but it just becomes so like it's definitely by you know all these decisions were made by older people who really don't seem to understand technology very well. I don't know, and and you know I it, it is awkward that trying to bring it to the modern day, and I think one of the most awkward ways is the way they update the songs, which are very. You know, High School Musical, very Disney-fied. And even worse, a lot of them are auto-tuned. Yeah. Which is like, wait, are you fucking kidding me? (laughs) I could star in this movie if that's what you're doing. (laughs) Right. I I don't know. I just, I found that kind of, like, that was kind of a last straw for, like, why this was they weren't really trying. To their credit, most of the cast is doing the best job they can. Rose Byrne who plays the the personal assistant to Jamie Foxx, is great and charming in this movie. Right. I really like her in here. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not as terrible a movie as you might have been heard. It might have heard. But that being said, it's kind of hard to recommend it. To- yeah, it's not like a, a movie made for us. No. But you want to you think like these movies, even though they're not made for us, are still have a redeeming quality. But even like if I had kids, I don't think I would be like... Check out this Annie remake. It's kind of sad too because you don't see a lot of little black girls in like these big roles, and it was supposed to be made for Willow Smith. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's she got like, too old by the time it. Right. Yeah. I heard also she said she just didn't want to do it, and then it was like, oh, okay. I get the <laughs> feeling for- often that Will Smith's kids don't have any actual <laughs> interest in acting. He's like, you guys want to do all this stuff? Well, you got to do it. It's too bad. <laughs> He's got that Scientology like. Must make them into superhumans. <laughs> we are all superhumans. No, no, Will Smith ain't a Scientologist. Oh, here's some money for you, Scientology. But here, I, I'm not a Scientologist. Go. Here you guys go. Because all my friends are Scientologists, but that don't make right. me a Scientologist. But I no. do enjoy a tasty burger. <laughs> um, so this comes with an audio commentary from the director. A deleted song, Something Was Missing. Apropos. Uh, th- three and a half minutes of bloopers, several sing-alongs and karaoke-style versions of some of the songs in here. A day on the set with... Covenjane Wallace. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's a hard-knock camp, auditions and training, casting the kids. Fun with Sandy, the film's dog, which is never given almost anything to do in this film. Right. Uh, Moonquake Lake on set, which is one of the more entertaining things in it. This fake YA movie that they go see, which... Uh. Which was uncomfortable for me if only there's, like, two black people in this entire theater and one of them can't stop talking. <laughs> Stereotypes. Uh, it's like, oh, oh wait, did boy. Chris Miller and Phil Lord really direct that? 
I, mean, uh, I guess that would make sense. Well, they sat down for a fake interview. They were the they were on movie. the credits. So. Okay, so maybe they directed the fake movie maybe, part. Yeah. Which, like I said, no wonder it was the best part. Yeah. <laughs> well, this guy's a good director. He's, he directed Easy A. Yeah, no, he's not. It's like, not a badly directed I movie. Just, yeah, the I think was... it made some. It had a bad script and it had some bad choices, individual choices made. Like I said, Cameron, Cameron Diaz is uh, uh, the whoever set up the music. Hmm. The right. music designer. Uh, there's a 14 and a half minute making of Annie, a several two music videos, a trivia track, if you care, photo gallery previews. Dah, 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 dah. That was my word. <laughs> what just happened? Yeah. And on and on and on. Uh, well, all right. To get away from... Uh, oh, no. This is kind of a kid's film. So uh, let's say you have problems with addiction and depression. Let's say that. Okay. Sam? Maybe I do. Do you have problems with addiction and depression? Today's the day I'm going to talk about it. and uh, You're welcome here. You're safe here. I'm not going to make it into a joke, Chris. Okay. I'm just not. Are you actually coming out as uh, addicted and depressed here right You know now? what, guys? Aren't we all in a little ways? <laughs> uh yeah, sorry. Wait, what, what was our scenario here? Oh, well, because we're reviewing a movie that's all about and for people who suffer from addiction issues right. and severe depression called To Write Love on Her Arms, which, of course, is named after the movement To Write Love on Her Arms. Uh, a uh, there's All right, so the best way to describe it is just tell you what the story is, which the movement is is started from what this movie is, the story of this person, uh, played by Kat Dennings, uh, who is a woman named uh, Renee... What's her name? Da, 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 Renee Yohe, uh, who <laughs> is, you know, I mean, like, they start off with her, she's like a little girl who, like, has an overactive imagination that's nicely animated, you know. Um, not We're not talking, like, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind type creativity here, but simplistic and, and pleasurable enough to watch. And then she, it's clear that she's... Just having trouble getting through her day a lot of the time. Basically, what you've got is uh, somebody who is, and they say it, she's bipolar. She has to take medicine for it. And, you know, one day in school, she and her two friends kind of get separated when a boy she really likes decides to start paying attention to her and pulls her off into her world, his world, which is filled with coke and partying and alcohol. And she's lost. Uh, Flash two later... And uh, she is basically a crack whore. (laughs) (laughs) Flash to crack whore. Yeah. And uh, she realized that she has hit rock bottom. There are people who want to kill her. uh, And she had a desperation, calls her friends and say, I I need help. Who basically trick her in going to a uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous meeting (laughs) where she meets uh, Rupert Friend, who plays David McKenna who is the boss of one of her friends and uh, music, he's a music producer and himself a a recovering uh, drug addict who basically ends up being guilted into taking her into his own house for a week until she's sober up enough to be able to go properly into rehab because they, a lot of these places won't take people while they're detoxing for insurance Uh, reasons. They have to be fully detoxed before they'll let them in. So, uh, most of this movie is those those five days as we're following her through that, and ultimately, what you've got is a you know a, a trying really hard to speak to people who suffer from these issues in a kind way, but never so never to the point of being cloying uh, film that is is out to is out to help, has had the best intentions in the yeah. world, but never really gets past the feeling of a TV movie. Right. 
That's super good intentions. Uh, but you're right. It's very kind of, almost a little slight, if that's the worst thing you can say about it. Yeah. It's just a little unmemorable, too. I mean, I watched it last night, and I <laughs> sort of forgot a lot of who was who. I mean, cause just <laughs> the characters are just all, like you said, kind of community theater, like TV movie type acting. I mean, Cat Dennings is fine. They they yeah. play for it like as trying to be as realistic as possible. But it's hard to do that when you're dealing with such uh, like heavy material, and you don't like have that. Uh, you have to put this in like the most uh, you know formidable actors. Right. And I think they're all fine, but I think yeah, it, the movie uh, at its worst is too obvious, and at its best is it's a good message. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad movie. It's just, honestly, this is something I would have, I would keep around just in case there was a young person I knew who really was reaching that point of darkness in yeah. their life to go like, I think you're going to really identify with this. I don't think you're going to find this too pushy. Yeah. You know, it's not all gaudy right. <laughs> either, you know. Yeah. Uh, Although, of course, they have to deal with, like, the 12 steps are, of course, mentioned, including the God part. It does not turn, the movie does not take a turn for the religious by any stretch of the Mm -hmm. imagination. I Um, mean, if I was a 14-year-old girl who was battling with addiction and depression, I would love this movie. Right. (laughs) However, Uh, you are not a 14-year-old girl. (laughs) Not yet. (laughs) Is this your goal? (laughs) One day I'll be there. One day. one day. This is the musical episode. I don't know what's going on. We're just singing. We're just singing. It's fun. Sing to the sky. I can sing. sing. All right. Uh, that was that. Uh, To Write Love on Her Arms. Recommended, but for a very specific group. And Kat Denning's special note, who is really, really good in it, no question. And she's hot. Um, what was that? Uh, nothing. Uh, next up, since we're still content talking about stuff for younger people, let's talk about something that was intended for younger people, but really grew up along the ways, which uh, way, which is the Legend of Korra. This is the sequel show or, uh, to uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender, and it is finishing up with season four here now out on Blu-ray and DVD. Uh, Thirteen episodes that were uh, made available originally on the Nickelodeon, well, originally on TV, but then Nickelodeon decided to pull a, a NBC with Community and go like, oh, you know what? We're just going to put this online instead. Which is weird because this is one of the best seasons of the show. Uh, I, I'm i a big fan of the show altogether. And I think that they, I, whereas I don't think it's as good as the original Avatar The Last Airbender, it's still pretty damn close. Um and this is, in many ways, this is definitely a kind of, you know, wrapping it up thing as Cora, after the last season, has, you know, she was poisoned and severely diminished. And now she's, you know, when it starts, she's basically homeless and a drunk, pretty much, and going around fighting in arenas, mm-hmm. you know. This sounds interesting. Well, it's not, it turns out it's not as bad as it looks at first, but, you know, ultimately she's really depressed. So the characters rent to write love on her arms and make her watch it. And everything is all right again. The more you know. <laughs> <laughs> but she, you know, most of this is about her learning to regain her strength and her confidence again. Uh, and whereas uh, there's chaos dealing with the new a coup that happened in the Earth Empire with a general there taking over and deciding she's just going to take over the world. There's a lot 
of World War II references going on in this season. A lot. This is Germany getting too big for their britches and taking nice. over pretty much. Uh, uh, you know, treating people who aren't benders as if they're not as human, that sort of thing. Or people who aren't even earthbenders specifically. But, you know, as it goes along, it's, it's, like, it's not the best villain story of the thing, but it's, uh, like, character-wise with Korra and the other characters, one of the most interesting ones. And it came to what would be considered probably a somewhat controversial ending uh, in terms of, like, a, a show that's never, uh, past the first season, never really been that much about romance, makes a romantic decision at the end that pissed off some of the more conservative types out there. Cora scissors someone? Or <laughs> you know what? I, I w- looked everywhere on the bonus features for that. And oh, the deleted scene. Yeah. Uh, she casts muff lapping. <laughs> hey <laughs> uh, yeah, she I took it there. Yeah, she we took it there. Yeah, she, um, yeah, she chows on a rug. Anyway, <laughs> uh, <laughs> something like that. I don't know. I, I think my biggest disappointment with this is just that, well, A, that it's over, because I was really enjoying this, and B, there's not much in the way of special features here. Usually when you get to the end of a, a show, you're like, oh, now we do pull out the, you know, the big guns with the special features. And right. Nah, they pretty much just ignore it. Uh, it's, like I said, really good stuff. Fans of the show know how good this was, this season was and know how happy they were. Hopefully people who have been holding off on watching the show will now go, okay, it's over, it's only four seasons, I'm going to go ahead and get started with it because you can get through it pretty fast. I only hope that they're going to continue with a new series eventually set in this world because really, really good. All right, enough stuff for little kids. Oh, fuck, wait, one more. Fuck little kids. Wait, one more. I mean... <laughs> no, well, don't fuck little uh, kids. Fuck. Too late. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, Sam's jury trial. Uh, here we have a recording. Ah. Uh, <laughs> wait, is my... Who's Mr. Hudson. Who's my... Sam. Who's... The, is that my attorney much, or the prosecutor? How much he loves to have sex with children. Can uh, we can we hear the recording? Can I have please? a different uh, attorney? <laughs> no, no, that's the prosecutor. Oh, that's the prosecutor. Right? Yeah, okay. yeah. Can I have Here's a different your prosecutor? Yana! <laughs> I think we can all understand what it's like when you're drinking some old English 800. Sometimes you say stuff you don't really mean. When I'm having a mint julep on the porch with my dogs. For instance, I'll talk to my dogs and say things I probably shouldn't say to them because I love my dogs sexually. It's like my son who's in that Fiji frat. He says stuff about the N-word all the time. (laughs) I'm sure he doesn't really mean it. Oh, wait, he does. Oh, Oh, wait, I trained him to do that. Fuck the Fiji frat, by the way. Anyway, uh, (laughs) this is for another one. Four kids, ostensibly, but you know what? I love the shit out of it. Anyway, that's Doctor Who in his Christmas special, Last Christmas and what really like made this special for me is that it was the first appearance on the show by God love him Nick Frost as Santa Claus. Now, Sam's never seen Doctor Who before. Now I come with no Doctor Who experience or baggage or baggage. Right. So I want to hear you describe the plot of this and then your reaction <laughs> and then try or even it. the reaction along the way i mean i was pretty confused oh that's why i want to hear it <laughs> i was so confused i was like well because I, I i that's one of the garys of geekdom i don't have any experience with the idea of doctor who which i don't even really understand the idea i guess he goes to different back in time maybe or maybe to different dimensions i just keep hearing people about 
talking about it. I'm like, that sounds awful every time I hear it. <laughs> but anyway, so I watched this without any experience. And you know what? I, I get it. I get it's It's almost, I'm, sadly, it's almost exactly how I expected it. Because I get it. Like, Doctor Who is this, like, uh, formidable, like... Uh, and this, he's almost like Sherlock Holmes. Like, he's very, like, investigator. Like, he goes and he's on... He knows his shit. He's he's stoic. He's, he's uh... I mean, I, I don't know if all the Doctor Whos are like that that one. They vary they, a lot. I mean, this one's, like, sort of a like a badass, but, like, a like he's like your dad. Like, you love him. <laughs> you can look up to him. And, I, and uh, yeah, I mean, the plot was just... I have no idea what was going on. It was like... Something to do with dream slugs. That, like it took a turn I never expected it to take, which was kind of cool. It like turned into alien, but uh, uh, but more like esoteric and like uh, is this real or not? Which kind of I hate. I sort of hate that kind of is this a dream or not? And that happens like ten different times. <laughs> is this real? Wait, no, it's not real. What you're all doing is imagining this and the TV right there. That's real. Like that happens like ten times in the movie. Uh, so, but it's fun. Like Nick Frost is fun. Playing Santa Claus. Right. And everyone else is like super serious. And like, it's pretty, it gets kind of heavy. I don't know what happened with that girl and that, the guy or someone died. <laughs> she she did something where some guy got him. He he got killed because of what she did or something. Uh, and maybe she died too, or she's not with the doctor anymore. I don't know. She she was maybe his sidekick. <laughs> I don't even know what happened. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you know what? I I dug it. For the most part, I, I I think I needed a little more context, but yeah. Uh, so, to give a very brief synopsis, the Doctor and Clara versus, uh, with the help of Santa Claus and some reindeer and what have you, right. uh, end up with a group of scientists stuck in a lab area who are being menaced by face huggers from Alien, pretty much, that turn the people who get face hugged into killer zombies. And that, and it keeps leaving eggs with more facehuggers around. Only that everything seems to be there's something about where they actually put you into crazy, really elaborate and leveled dream states. Right. So it's very unclear which is real, what's really happening, whether you succeeded or not. Right. Yeah. Or whether something's a dream. Right. Which is always way fun for the viewer. <laughs> is this a dream or not? No. Maybe. Maybe. Wait, did you bring your little Wait, top do- with you? Is Doctor Who... You see Doctor Who pulls the top out of his pocket <laughs> yeah. and spins it at the end? That's pretty cool. Inception! <laughs> Inception! Uh, well, I, I thought this was a good Christmas special, not one of the best ones. Um, still, their version of A Christmas Carol is probably the best one I've ever seen from the uh, Matt Smith era. Uh, this is not bad and well worth your time to see one of the better uh, Capaldi episodes so far, which admittedly has only had one season, so there you go. All right, uh, moving on, let's talk about Life Partners, the film that Sam was most excited to talk about this week. Oh, boy, am I. <laughs> you know what you get when you get a lesbian and a heterosexual girl who've been best friends since childhood, who hang out, who even refer to each other as husband and wife on their cell phones, who, uh, like, spend all their time together until one of them, 
till the straight one actually meets a guy that she's serious about and their friendship is threatened. What do you call... Classic. You know, that, that's classic, right? <laughs> classic lesbian best friend <laughs> uh, <laughs> It happened to me, classic Sam. classic tale. Been told for <laughs> hundreds of years now. <laughs> yes, I believe uh, they originally found this in an Egyptian... Uh, right. Uh, uh, hier- uh, hieroglyph? Sure. Yeah. Let's say what... The story. Yeah. yeah. That's uh, how it... And there was scissoring. Anyway. <laughs> Scissor. Uh, this is uh, Gillian Jacobs uh, from Community, who you know from Community. Right. Uh, and Leighton Meester are the best friends, Leighton being the lesbian. And their life is one of severely irritating everyone else around them. You ever know that? Like two girls that are so close that they've almost developed their own language because all their they've got all these little tics and in-jokes and everything, and they're really just impossible to be around because they're really judgmental of everyone else around them and be, are really catty and these are these girls right uh, so right off the bat I'm like I don't like these girls I don't <laughs> like them you're gonna have to watch a whole movie about them yeah right. here you go maybe they'll get wiser like in the last 10 minutes mm-hmm. um, when Gillian meets Adam Brody who despite everything she can do to be a dick to him Still ends up falling for, her and they get serious, and on and on and goes. And uh, Leighton Meester. Well, girls like dudes like that, don't you know? I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what, what is what is like that? That's. I mean, the, that's why it's stupid. It's like, do girls really like like guys who push them away like that? I I don't know. Maybe. I mean, one of the most irritating things is the fact that he doesn't push her away more and say, "Look, bitch." You gotta stop being such a like, cause she's horrible. Right. Like, like as uh, as irritating as Elite Meester is in this, Gillian Jacobs is just a bitch. <laughs> you know, she is just not a pleasant person. Right. Um, she's really judgmental. She's completely self centered. She's incapable of taking blame. There's a whole subplot where she like, there's no two ways about it. She's backing out of her driveway and you know texting at the same time, not looking at all where she's going. Bashes into the side of her neighbor's car, which is completely legally parked. Not blocking her driveway at all and then has a fit at him saying he was blocking her driveway refuses to acknowledge in any way she might be wrong at all which is only one part of how she acts that way towards everyone in this entire film i just and the thing is this film wants you to like these people right i just was waiting for something about them to be redeeming yeah i mean i can't i can't (laughs) find anything redeeming about this movie it's just uh it's very run-of-the-mill i think it's just oh it's so it's just not worth it i hate to say i mean i i don't care that it's about women or lesbians i love both of those and <laughs> there's not enough scissoring either like yeah, where's this for a much- movie with all these lesbians yeah, there's a, mean, well, give them a chance. There's you know? there's no uh, even hint of lesbian sex in this film, which I yeah. certainly don't mean like fuck this movie. Yeah, oh, <laughs> where's all the fucking? <laughs> there's more lesbian sex in Legend of Korra season four than there is in this. Oh, movie. Oh jeez, <laughs> I gotta watch Legend of Korra now. <laughs> there there really like, isn't a lot of lesbian sex. Oh, fuck. It's really it's pretty much hand holding. That's about God it. Damn it. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I just if you're gonna show me a film about characters that are really unlikable, then it has to either A, be a very intelligent and very philosophical film about their redemption or, or destruction, 
you know, right. or it has to be about where they're villains and pulling off a crime. Right. They just got to <laughs> go full, full blown. And it didn't even do that. Yeah. Like you reservoir dogs. Nobody's a nice guy. Nobody's a hero, but that's okay because it's, they're pulling off a crime and that we can identify with. <laughs> well, Mr. What's his face was nice. Mr. Pink was nice. Yeah, but not really. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> But he's cool. Yeah. Well, at least he was nice enough to say yes to Mr. Pink, because otherwise you get seven guys who all want to be Mr. Black. <laughs> this is... I don't know why this is getting good reviews. It feels very... Uh, like... Mm, yeah. Like, is it getting good reviews? Yeah, it got some good reviews mm. anyway. Um, mm. It's based on a play. I don't know. I mean, let's... Uh, you know, I don't watch too many LBGBT movies. Right. And this isn't is really... This, is, is it? Yeah, it didn't even feel like a... Like, it focuses much more on Gillian Jacobs' heterosexual character. Like, I don't know lesbian culture, but... I just didn't feel like this it was like real lesbian culture. It felt like a cartoon about... It felt like someone who didn't know lesbians like wrote this and was like, I'm going to write a lesbian. That'll be quirky. <laughs> lesbians will love this movie. I don't know if they do or not. Maybe they do because it's just a you know a film with a primary character who is a lesbian and yeah. is a lesbian, but which there certainly are not a lot of. Yeah. But um, yeah, nah, meh. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to the last of Robin Hood, a, the most awkwardly titled film of this <laughs> week. Uh, what it actually means is it's about Errol Flynn, played here. By Kevin Klein because of course, <laughs> right? You know you've got a bigger than life, classically trained actor character. You pretty much get Kevin Klein or fuck the whole thing. I mean he's 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 convincing, right? Very convincing. And he plays. This is him towards the end of his life, which is to say he wasn't that old because <laughs> right. he partied so hard he died. He just looked young. like he was old. Yeah. Um, and morphine so, is a hell of a drug. Yeah, is. And the title refers to, you know, this is the last days of the guy who played Robin Hood. Like I said, awkward title, but specifically, <clears throat> this is based on a book about the last and supposedly true love of his life, his fourth wife, which was an underage girl who was like 15 years old when he started dating her, played by here by Dakota Fanning as Beverly Adeland. Ooh. And then her mother, her uh, played by Susan Saran. And Florence Adeland, who, even though she knew this was kind of fucked up, was like, okay, well, Errol Flynn's being a complete gentleman. My daughter's extremely happy. He's helping her with her career. Right. No harm, no foul. I mean, yeah. on that issue, I have very mixed feelings. I believe <laughs> that it is, strictly speaking, you can have a you know, older, younger relationship watch like it, that. Watch what you're as, saying. As long as the parents sign off on it, I'm pretty sure <laughs> As long it's as legal. the parents are outside and knitting. And knitting. Oh, it's happening. <laughs> Just like, hmm. Oh. <laughs> Keep it down in there. <laughs> knitting so loud, I can't hear. Uh, you know, I think this is a great idea for a film that they didn't make the film that they should have made about it. Everybody's too nice. There's no. <laughs> it is sort of like a gee golly Hollywood there's about no, this sort of pedophile. Yeah, there's no real drama here. I mean, like the drama is all implied, not seen. Right. You know. No, you're right. Yeah, I didn't think of it that way, but actually, 
Yeah, that's right on the money. I mean, <laughs> that's what I was wondering. I was like, it's like there's something wrong about this. Oh yeah, there's like this real weird relationship, and it's sort of lighthearted. Yeah, but but well, I mean, maybe that's what to me. I was like, maybe this was what it's like. I don't know. Maybe know, like no right. one gave a shit. Well, I mean, you never see really like uh, there's no picture of any sort of dark side to this relationship at all, except that Errol's killing himself ultimately. I mean, he can't stop shooting up morphine. Yeah, um, that's the worst. Part. Although we never really see him as a drug-addled kind of guy. With there's just a shot or two of him injecting himself. You know, you don't get the, this isn't like, you know, uh, train spotting. <laughs> uh, Babies uh, crawling on the ground. Uh, Dakota. Uh, I was waiting for them to do like a flashback of him and Robin Hood or something like, because the name is Robin fun. Hood. It's like, what? I mean, doing stuff like that, like showing, like making it where this was like, you know, a film about the end of his life, but we also get sort of like little flashbacks to his entire career to, yeah. to sort of show him as a young ingenue coming in as, you know, to balance out this new young girl. But ultimately, this is her story. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's just a side player in it. And she's just not that interesting. Yeah. I mean, she didn't. I mean, she even says in one scene she's not interested that much interested in show business. And it's like, oh, OK, well, she just wants to hang out. Yeah. So it's like that's fine, but it's like it would be, it would have been yeah. There was no, you're right. There was no drama. I mean, really, like everything sort of just was handled like set up in the first like ten minutes and really played out that way. I mean, it's still interesting. I'm, I always dig like old movies about old Hollywood, but even then, like there wasn't a ton of that either right. to like sort of satiate. Yeah, it's, that. that was the biggest problem. There's just not enough of that right here. Like, that's what we came for. That's what uh, Kevin Klein thinks he's doing. I mean, mm-hmm. every time he's on screen, he is holding the film together by sheer force of personality. Right. You know, because he's wonderful to watch in his, like, I'm majestic. I am Elf Flynn. I'm kind of a pervert, maybe. <laughs> but I'm the most likable pervert. <laughs> Jeez, th- that's what the movie should have been called. The most likable pervert. <laughs> In theaters, <laughs> not the last of Robin Hood. This had very little to do with Robin Hood at all. Yeah. Nothing. He's, they he's, just mentioned it once, like he played Robin Hood, and then they looked into the camera. He stole virginity from the poor and kept it for himself. So it's not very Robin Hoody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> He's um, the opposite of Robin Hood. Yeah, there's a lot of things that you're like, this would be interesting to pursue. Like, there's a whole thing where he's talking to Stanley Kubrick, mm. played briefly as hell by Max Casella, about, like, trying to, like, cast, like, him and his uh, Dakota Fanning's character in, you know, Kubrick's Lolita, trying to convince him into this. Oh, that was Kubrick? Yeah, that was Kubrick. Oh, okay. I, the whole time I was like, oh, yeah, Lolita. I didn't, I didn't realize, oh, yeah, I was like... Was there a Lolita before Stanley Kubrick's? No, there wasn't. Uh, no, no, I think that was the first. Nice. One. Other than the book, right? <laughs> and who went on to play that? James Mason, right? Or who was it? I can't remember offhand. It was James Mason. Um, but it's interesting. Though. I mean, it's stuff like that. I wanted to see more of that stuff, right? And less of this, like a story with this woman that, quite frankly, goes almost nowhere. Other than, no, he really treated me like a gentleman all the time, and we're really in love, and I wish he was in better health and didn't die young. But other than that, that's the story. And other than that, and oh yeah, he gave us uh, what they ended up not getting the money from Earth. Uh, yeah, no yeah. spoiler. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, you son of a bitch. He died. <laughs> he dies. Morphine. 
All right. Well, enough of the last of the last of the last of Hollywood uh, of uh, Robin Hood, and on to something not from Hollywood, which is the Intruders. Now, this is basically a vehicle for Miranda Cosgrove, who I only knew as starring in uh, uh, School of Rock. She was that little brunette girl from School oh, yeah. of Rock, but apparently she's iCarly. She's iCarly. Uh, which I had I only heard. know because I have sisters. Yeah, I, sisters. I, I'd seen the name of that in passing, but had never, certainly never watched it. Right. But apparently that was what she, what she a big deal. got big success from. And now she was doing what child stars do. I want to make grown-up movies. So she's in this horror movie called The Intruders uh, with, uh, oh God, what is the actor's name? Uh, Donald Logue. Donald Logue, who... One of the one of the greatest actors who whose career has never really gotten past a certain point, regardless of his talent. <laughs> he peaked at Blade <laughs> in his film career. It's, Let's be honest, guys. He's done some he's done some good stuff, but always under the radar stuff. Yeah. Uh, and this is him in a thankless role as her dad. She is a it appears mildly psychologically confused young lady who is still suffering from the uh, sudden death of her mother about a year or so beforehand. Uh, she was pulled out of college. Uh, now she's staying for a while at a brand new house that her dad is flipping. Uh, am I getting this right so far? Sure. <laughs> I, I actually watched this a couple uh, yeah, weeks yeah. ago. I watched this like four days ago and I just... Sure, yeah. Um, Intruders. <laughs> uh, so Rose, the lead character, discovers that the previous people who lived there, uh, one of them mysteriously disappeared and left several of her things around. And she starts basically looking at casting a net about wildly for neighbors and people around town for suspects to decide that, okay, well, something clearly happened to them. Uh and things, you know, start to look like, okay, maybe she's crazy. Maybe she's hallucinating this. Oh, maybe, maybe she's not. Um, this is, God, what was that? This is a really crappy version of the movie Homebound. <laughs> you remember that? Oh, the, the uh, Spanish film? Oh. Or, or Spanish or Argentinian, I can't remember. The one that played at Fantastic Fest with the, the girl who is forced was... to stay at home with her parents and starts, like, her mom's like, oh, yeah, the house I thought that totally was, like, gone. Australian. Australian? New Zealand? Hey, I don't know. Anyway, maybe it's New Zealand. <laughs> Did they talk in Sp- I can't Spanish or now. English? I don't know. In my, I always read <laughs> Wait, the subtitles anyway. Housebound? Housebound. That's, that's uh, New Zealand. Is it New Zealand? Zealand? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, they sound like they're from somewhere else. Sure. So. I mean, I thought I it was know. Flight of the Concords. I didn't know what was happening. <laughs> I mean, Argentina, New Zealand, who, you know, it's all the same to me. <laughs> I mean, when I was watching uh, uh, the the the, dark, the vampire film with Jermaine Clement, I was like, where the fuck is Bilbo Baggins? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Bilbo. <laughs> Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins. Okay, this is not a musical episode. Hey, no. Uh, Miranda Cosgrove uh, is in a position where basically she's trying to do her best act, scared and nervous and unsure what's going oh. on and, and, and be like lots, lots of quivering. scares and it appears that maybe the house is haunted by the person who lived there before but maybe not and ultimately what you've got is and I'm just going to go ahead and say this it's an intruder in the house movie not a ghost movie and That's if fun. you can't figure out where this thing is going in the first 20 minutes then you must not have watched a lot of horror films <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just so flat yeah, it's super flat. Like it's it's this could be a horror movie on the Disney Channel. It's so flat. Everyone's phoning it in. Well, not everyone. Like you said, Miranda's like she's trying. doing her thing, <laughs> but it's not you know a great thing. And uh, no. Donald Logue is you know he's he's fine, but he knows he's in this like kind of movie. It seems like everyone knows her. And who's the other guy? Uh, the the other dad? 
Tom Sizemore. Tom Sizemore yeah. shows up and he is phoning it in oh, hard. He hard. looks. He like always he, does. But he could, looks like he could not care less. He's just like he's like sure. fuck yeah. it. Everyone oh, yeah. always thinks I'm Michael Madsen anyway. So who gives a shit? <laughs> Here you be you be Miranda Cosgrove and I'll be Tom Sizemore. Okay. What what did you do? I I saw you. You were you you you. I think you killed someone. Yeah, I, I. You don't know what you're talking about. No, you were hauling garbage out of your house at night and bringing it into your truck. What was that? <coughs> yeah, I uh, got I got trash. It, <sighs> drag. <laughs> Somebody give me a drag. That was pretty much it. That's that was it. He That's he, I don't think he ever has a facial expression in this movie. He's uh, high on Botox. He's like he looks like. Yeah, he's like and he morphine. looks botoxed and exa- mildly exasperated. <laughs> he's like, so you walked out. You did. You ate an orange. Why are you exhausted? Anyway, yeah, this one went straight to DVD, which I find kind of surprising, considering the I'm sure would love to promote Miranda Cosgrove as a bigger star. And this isn't what you would call a t- you know a terrible horror film. It's just so. You know, it's been done so many times before, so much better. Mm. Not a lot of thought went into this. Not a lot of there's, there's just not much to it. Yeah, yeah. So I cannot recommend this even to iCarly fans. Oh, Aww. see, yeah. if you're gonna make a horror movie, make a movie about a child star who someone is trying to stalk and kill. If you're play, if you are a child star in real life, you want to make a horror movie, make one that there's an identification point like that with your previously existing right. audience. This kind of pointless. Anyway, uh, moving on. <laughs> Thank God. Let's talk about an old classic. Hey, baby, let's talk about that swinging movie, The Road to Hong Kong. I don't like it when you talk like that. It scares me. <laughs> so you liked it last night well enough. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> this is a 1962 British comedy uh, of the last of the Bing Crosby, Bob Hope on the Road movies. A whole series that my closest connection to was watching the ripoffs of them on Family Guy. <laughs> you know, when Brian and Stewie, they would have right. the on the road episode. Uh, and honestly, I was a little, you know, getting this, I was like, shit, this is the last one. It's considered to be the weakest in the series. That's kind of lame that my first one's going to be this one. And then I kind of really liked it anyway. Yeah. Yeah, it really made me go, wow, this is the worst in the series. I kind of want to see the rest of these. Yeah, no, I, I, it was my first Bing Crosby, Bob Hope, uh, road picture as well and i uh, was surprised i mean it's definitely not like edgy material it's no. not like they're i mean to me even like edgy stuff and i mean in 62 uh you know there was some pretty edgy stuff going on i mean it's not like you know after it was paved the way you know three stooges and all that stuff but they try to do a lot of slapstick in this and uh you know it works pretty well yeah, yeah. No, I think most of the, the, the set pieces work pretty yeah. well overall. And clearly, I mean, these two playing the characters of Harry Turner and Chester Babcock, who are con men and just not very good ones. Yeah. They've been doing this for a long time right. together. And yeah, they could do it in their sleep. And never during this entire film do they ever look tired or bored of it either. They're yeah. like on top of it. They're very funny. Hope is always the guy who's a little bit dumber, not quite as good looking as Bing. Uh, you know, Bing is the guy who's a little slicker, who's always willing to even put one over on Hope. You know? Gets the woman. Yeah, Bing, gets the woman. Which is weird. I mean, it's not like they're in, either of them are like ladies' men, but 
it's just weird that Bing is like the ladies' man. <laughs> well, one of the criticisms here was that uh, Dorothy Lamour, who was the female lead in every single one of these films, was relegated to uh, just a small appearance as herself uh, towards the end of the movie, where she's largely replaced as the female lead with a young Joan Crawford, which, or uh, sorry, Joan Collins, which, right. as far as I'm concerned, is not a terrible thing. And this is the only one of these that's a satire of spy movies. Like, the rest of them are, are more traditional, classic, on-the-road adventure type stuff uh, around the world. This one, like, they're dealing with a guy, a mad, crazy scientist, who uh, has um, plans for a rocket, Russian rocket fuel that he needs to do so he can send up a rocket to basically take out most of the world so he can rule what's left. Um, and there's this thing where uh, Hope memorizes the entire thing and then is given this kind of drug where like when he's put under the state of this thing he can rem- he can remember it but otherwise he can't and part of the struggle is like how do we get him to rem- to go back in this state when we don't have the drug anymore you know a running joke that has a lot to do with Joan Collins earrings <laughs> um I you know I had more fun with this than I didn't although the high point of this whole thing is Peter Sellers appearing as an Indian doctor in the early oh uh, Peter Sellers he Kick, he kills it as the Indian dudes. <laughs> he plays a lot of Indian he, he dudes. Does, he actually has played him a couple times. <laughs> yes, and he's really funny in his he scene in here. But yeah, this is like, I mean, the beginning, right at the beginning of like the new spy like phenomenon that was happening in Hollywood, as well as the spy satire stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's it's kind of it's kind of remarkable in that sense alone. But one thing I found really irritating here is that they break the fourth wall so much that you just want to smack them. They're like, yeah, yeah, we know we're characters in a movie, and we know we've been in a bunch of other movies. <laughs> and they, uh, I've been in a fishy situation before. <laughs> looks in the camera. Yeah. There's a lot of that. There's a, a cute little Dean Martin and, and Frank Sinatra appearance. At God. The and they're just like, well, yeah, I guess this is towards the end of the movie, yeah. but... They're just there's just so so much male enti- male entitlement with Joan Collins in this movie. Like, yeah, yeah, Joan, come on in here. Let me make out with you for a sec. Hey, let me have a let me have a turn with her. They're pretty much just passing her around <laughs> and mashing on her. Yeah, give me that girl. Hey, it's my turn. I haven't had any Joan Collins. Hey, yet, get over. So. Yeah, a lot yeah. of that going on. Yeah, I mean. This isn't like an all-time classic, but I think you'll find that if you watch this, even if you haven't seen any of the others, you're actually going to really enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's a uh, you know this series were classic for a reason. They were even going to make another one, but Bing Crosby died, and then they couldn't. <laughs> and they Why, how, did, how did he die? I, uh, I want to say cancer. I, I want to say he just died while fucking too many women because yeah. he's such a ladies' man. He was a bit of a ladies' man. Um, he died in 1977. Of stuff. <laughs> That's the official. <laughs> the official. It just says stuff. stuff. <laughs> he died of stuff. No. Um, scrolling down to death, he died of <laughs> dying. <laughs> he was a dire. Uh, he died stroke. from a massive heart attack just as he finished a game of golf. Oh, I, I saw stroke in the golf. And yeah, I was like, yeah, I know. It was oh, like he died stroke. from a stroke. No, no, no. He had finished his final stroke. <laughs> he finished and then his he final had a stroke. heart attack. Uh, yeah, so that was awkward. Oh, <laughs> anyway, awkward. yeah, recommend this from all the films. No extras on this, but it's still, you know, it, yeah. this is a series worth exploring. It's sad, though. I wish there was a little more extras on these kinds of yeah, stuff. The, but, yeah, the, the Olive Films is one of those, like, 
Like, we don't have a lot of money. Basically, the money we got was spent on getting the rights to these, yeah. like, right. mi- like relatively minor footnote movies, but a lot of which are really worth watching. I mean, even subtitles would be nice. Yeah, There's even some, pay but... somebody to do subtitles. I mean, yeah. Yeah, well. Yeah, well. All right. Uh, another Olive Films release is, but not quite as old as that one, is Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Uh, this is the, one of the first films by Ang Lee. Not his first film, but the first one that really got him known as a director because it was nominated uh, for Best Foreign Language Film in 1995 <laughs> when it came out. And this is, you know, at, before he came to America and started pretty much exclusively doing his film, films here. Uh, it is the title refers to a quote from the Book of Rights, a Confucian classic that uh, has to do with taking the basic human desires and accepting them as being natural. Uh, The quote reads, the things which men greatly desire are comprehended in meat and drink and sexual pleasure. And that's pretty much true, although they forgot, you know, video games and weed. Yeah, they forgot also uh, to what happens after you eat and drink, which is puking and shitting well not always if you know what you're doing <laughs> where does it go chris i mean shitting yes <laughs> oh puking oh. Yeah. I, are you doesn't everyone who's your thin inspiration sam guys <laughs> oh am i the only one okay <laughs> uh you know the romans had it right vomitoriums <laughs> it's the way to go how else are you supposed to fit that second pizza yeah you know um this is a you know i guess it it was released as sort of a dramedy it's really just a drama um, yeah, of a, really a, a comedy, a, a family in Taiwan in contemporary Taiwan, who uh, the the dad is a you know a master chef. People are kissing his ass all through this movie, uh-huh. like he's one of the the lights of their town. Like, oh, he's considered to be the greatest chef in town, but he's fading a bit. He's losing his memory. He, it, it's insinuated strongly that he has lost his sense of taste entirely, and it keeps coming back to these like marks in the film where it's Sunday night and the whole family reluctantly has to come in, which is his three unmarried daughters has to come to the house where he's cooked this ridiculously oversized meal for them and sit and have dinner and make their little confessions about what's going on. And daughter is, uh, there's, I'm not going to, there's, uh, they're all, the the way (laughs) pronounce those names, Chris, uh, uh, pronounce those names. uh, Gia Jen, uh, just say Jen. Who is a school teacher who has become converted to Christianity and she's very serious and she's the oldest one and she's kind of given up, Mm. quite frankly. She's like, well, nobody's ever going to love me. But things get complicated when students in her school decide to fuck with her by sending her a bunch of fake love notes. And That's the comedy part that everyone's talking about. (laughs) I don't know if that was supposed to be funny. (laughs) Or the funny part is when she falls in love with this guy and he like – breaks his shoulder playing volleyball and she's like oh no she like watch spies on him playing volleyball that was a little awkward that was super awkward <laughs> uh the middle girl chien uh is a airline executive she's totally independent she's the one who's the most uncomfortable with around her father and the most like you know bashing heads with him but she's right. also the one who's most like him and the one who could have been a chef herself like wanted to but then her dad eventually was like get the fuck out of my kitchen this is my kitchen she's super critical of her dad's food which i'll just uh, just for a sec those women and uh, i will eat all that food i would all that food looks this beautiful movie with like total <laughs> food porn no question uh, yeah uh, no, the no. youngest one ning is a college student and she works at a fast food restaurant and she gets in a situation where basically her best friend is a very shallow woman who's just leading along a guy who really likes her because she can 
and you know being open, out and out openly a bitch about it. And as the boyfriend ends up like, you know, as 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 Ning is kind of comforting him, ends up falling for her as you do, and they start a relationship to some minor amount of chaos. Um, I guess the biggest problem with this film is it's really long. It's 123 minutes. Not a lot actually happens in this movie. Uh, it's ultimately about all three of these daughters finding love and finally moving out from the house and deciding, you know, what they want, you know, where their lives, where they actually want their lives to go. And the dad himself coming to terms with his own, uh, you know, his own issues that he has with a little twist surprise at the end that comes so out of nowhere that you really couldn't give a shit. <laughs> well, I, I would I would disagree. I like this movie a lot. I mean, oh, I, okay. I think it's I think it's perfect. I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with Ang Lee. This is actually something I've never seen by Ang Lee. Yeah. And I uh, Me neither. Yeah. and I I'm familiar with most of his catalog, but I would say this movie, it, you know, it's long, but I, I almost wanted it just to keep going. I love, like you said, it's a, it's a food porn's like wet dream. <laughs> like I love, oh man, just watching that first opening montage of him making the food is like, it's beautiful, and all the the colors are rich and yes yeah. and great. And Although not like the cinematography, I don't was, feel like there was a killer remastering job on this because it felt like the colors should have popped a lot more. Yeah. Than they did. But still, I uh, I can like it almost in a way. It almost looked better to me, like it looked more vintage because they didn't pop that much. And I feel like Angley knows. I feel like Angley might have done commercials or something before this because he knows how to do those like great little like pans of like dishes and stuff. Right, and this is apparently they wanted to go for the saturated, like basic saturation, realistic looking palette, not yeah. the really bright colored one. Right. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, I don't think this is a bad movie. I just wanted it to be over sooner than it was. <laughs> I, I, and I would have liked more cooking scenes. Yeah, if the whole movie was just him cooking and, I like, been fine beautiful, detailed, him cutting open fish Dude, and the, the, like, making a little... stuff uh, he does, like, it's not as simple as, like, cooking this huge dinner. He's, like, carving melons he's with being, intricate designs yeah. to serve. It's like watching a, someone paint a painting. It's and beautiful. Every every meal is more elaborate than the previous <laughs> one. I love it. There's always some super weird, like, hot pot cooking device in the middle of the table, and it's never the same one. It's always bigger and more elaborate and, like, uh, looks unwieldy. I love it. I love it. <laughs> Like, I heard uh, Ang Lee was a uh, stay-at-home like husband before this. Oh, okay. so uh, part of me believes like maybe this was like him. Like maybe this was what he had to do is like make huge like uh, meals and you know to come for the wife to come home to. Yeah, it could I don't be. know. It's it's it's, inter- it's interesting like that he made this movie early on in his career and like it, it is interesting like. How do you go from this to like Crouching Tiger to like Life of Pi? Like, how did this guy suddenly become a dir- action director? <laughs> to me, I'm always just thinking about like, man, not there's the nothing like think. this in this. Yeah, I mean, there's a sense of uh, sort of zen, zen like peacefulness. Right. That he understands this and Crouching Tiger, right. and even like uh, the uh, the ice. What was it called? The ice, ice storm. Yeah. The ice storm, which is that sort of like. Barely restrained politeness with a simmering right. undercurrent of, of like. But there's no like sense of anger. wonder like they have. <laughs> so it's almost like to me he's like he's just 
I love how versatile he is. He can just do like you know the same old dramas. I mean, like he goes from Crouching Tiger to Broken Back Mountain to Life of Pi. You know, I think I notice you're not bringing up the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> oh, hey man, I'm a non-apologetic fan of Eric Bana's Hulk. I don't give a fuck if anyone hates that movie. I love that. Well, I don't Poodle love Hulks. that movie, but I fucking love Poodle Hulks, man. I love Poodle Hulks. I demand you wear I, a t-shirt of Poodle Hulks. I mean, Hulks. I, that movie is campy as fuck and pretty like stupid, but I love that movie. All right, fair enough. Let's not get started. Don't get me started. Because <laughs> he could go on. Say, I will Hulk out. Don't make me Hulk. talk about the Incredible Hulk. You wouldn't, you wouldn't like, like me. me. <laughs> All right, next up is Lowdown, a brand new biopic uh, based on a memoir of Amy Jo Albany, who is the daughter of famous jazz pianist Joe Albany, per, uh, portrayed here by the great John Hawks, a Austin native. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, main reason I was excited to see this, because I really like John Hawks a lot anyway, regardless of the fact that he's from Austin. Um, it was executive produced by Anthony Kiedis and Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, Flea himself stars in a small role in this as well. Originally came out at the Sundance Film Festival. Um, Ellie Fanning is playing the daughter here. And ultimately, I mean, this is a biopic based on a, bio, uh, a, bio, a biography written by her of her experience growing up with this amazingly talented dad who was desperately addicted to heroin. Um, and it's, it's, it's really just the story of what it's like to be in that scenario. I don't feel like it was saying a heck of a lot, really pretty straightforward and not. Yeah. It's a very rarefied scenario that it's not like the daughter of a heroin addict who can, who can afford to get by. Right. (laughs) You know, I mean, it had, yeah, it didn't have a whole lot to say beyond that. I mean, yeah, it, 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 it's pretty straightforward. A lot of great appearances in this thing, though. Lena Headley plays her total drunken, like, like awful mom, like most awful person ever. You really do <laughs> pronounce everyone's name wrong. Did, did Lena I, Headley. Did I say Headley Hetty? <laughs> Headley Lamar. Lena Headley. <laughs> Glenn Close uh, plays the grandmother. Uh, Peter Dinklage is a neighbor who stars in bizarre porn films. Man, he's good. <laughs> that was pretty weird. Tim Daly, Berm Gorman. Um, yeah, I actually, originally Mark Ruffalo was cast, but he had to move back because of scheduling. I don't know. I mean, this is Oscilloscope Laboratories. We like to p- pull out these little indie films like this and hope that they're going to strike a chord with the right people. I mean, this is a film specifically for people who are huge fans of Joe Albany who want to see anything about him. Because let's face it, he's not one of the name names of jazz right, unless you're a was. huge jazz head. You know, like he would go and play with Charlie Parker, Miles Davis, and Charles Mingus, and we all know who they are. Don't really know Joe. Albany is. <laughs> no, I mean I would say you're. Yeah, Oscilloscope has great little indies, and uh, I also think. I mean, if you're into jazz, you'd be into this. It's got like a persistent jazz score. Like the girl sort of just carries around a radio, which acts as the score the whole time. Which is is kind of c- cool in scenes where there's like some little, you know, if there's ever some. Uh, you know, back and forth, like uh, dramatic scenes in between the the girl and the guy. No matter what, the tone of that jazz just sort of the whole point of jazz is that it's sort of improvised and it's it never really like never really changes the mood 
dramatically, and it sort of just stays the same mood the whole time. And that's sort of like a cool way they did that. The score just sort of stays the same mood the whole time, no matter what. If the conversation has changed into something, you know, more heavy or lighthearted, and I kind of like, I kind of dug that. But yeah, it, it must for the most part, it didn't have a ton to say. Yeah, it's it's you know very Spartan in its storytelling aspect. Right. I mean, the synopsis I just read you is the plot of the film, and there's not a lot else to say other than that. <laughs> right? It's, there's not. Yeah. Yeah. I Heroin, like- jazz. Guy you New York, New York, living in the sixties and seventies, which I kind of liked. You know, I like seeing sixties, seventies settings and stuff. Yeah, but uh, you know, it's not terribly, it's not terribly interesting. And but sometimes it has little moments that work for me. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, I agree with that. It's it, it's one of those like, yeah, it's a, it's a little bit dull, but it has its moments. And the Peter Dinklage appearance in there. Stay for Peter Dinklage. The the, the the reveal that he stars in porn films is the reason enough to watch right. this film. Absolutely. All right. Next up is Pioneer, a 2013 Norwegian thriller. Uh, this is directed by the guy who, uh, who uh, I'm not even going to try to pronounce this one. When the pronounce letters it. actually, when two letters are actually attached to each other. How, I don't know how you pronounce Skajol that. Bagard. <laughs> A and That's E are, are like, like I don't know what happened. They bonded somehow. Oh, it's Eric Skajol Bagard, Skajold, of course. Yeah, I'm not, I can't even say that mispronunciation of it. But he co-wrote and directed Insomnia and directed Prozac Nation. Uh, Pioneer showed at Toronto International Film Festival in 2013. And since has been picked up for an English language remake by Smokehouse Pictures uh, with a basically owned by George Clooney. Uh, they're working on the English language version of this. This is based extremely loosely on a true story. I looked this up and I was like, yeah, this isn't anything like what actually happened. Oh, really? <laughs> I didn't look up the real story. But the idea is is that in the 70s, uh, Norway is just starting to begin a program for oil harvesting. Uh, they're hiring people and having to cooperate with Americans for help because they're trying to lay this underwater deep, underwater gas pipe and they need the help of American technology and know-how and what have you. So it's a sort of cross project together. And these two Norwegian brothers are, you know, the initial team to go down there. And there's an accident that has to do with uh, one of the brothers who basically just blacks out for a minute in the middle of it. And the other brother ends up being killed. So this leads into a, you know, a suspense chase type film where someone keeps trying to, to knock off the surviving brother as he is trying to track down the facts, find out what really happened and why indeed did he black out at all? What right. was the cause of that? Believing that there's something in the, an experimental gas mixture that's being fed to them that they knew could go wrong and decided not to say anything Something about it. could be fishy. <laughs> Are we back it. with the fishy thing again? <laughs> <laughs> Something's a little fishy here. Something's don't you think? Bob? Fishy. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this has got several American actors in it. Wes Bentley is in here doing his best to pretend he's Jake Gyllenhaal, as usual, mm-hmm. um, as like kind of an asshole American diver. Uh, Stephen Lang plays the the boss of the American crew, who is a take no shit type of boss um, and doesn't have a lot to do. Oh wait. Just like everything he does? Just like everything he does, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. I think this is one of those that, like, this is an interesting story that could have been done a lot better. Yeah. I, I'd have to agree with you. And uh, I haven't seen the original Insomnia. I've just seen the... Uh, the remake. The remake. But this this movie feels like... 
oh, this is definitely like kind of the same vibe as that story. It's like some sort of tragedy happened. It's like gotta figure out the clues oh, everything is hazy in my mind and I'm running around trying to put the clues together and still having flashbacks it's almost like if you mix if you replace flashbacks in this movie with like sleepiness and insomnia it's right. like the same sort of I remember like, when we reviewed insomnia I think somebody said like ironically this movie put me to sleep <laughs> <laughs> no it definitely well I don't sell the Chris Nolan one I don't know if the remake yeah. is far superior I, I've but. seen both versions and I liked both, but whereas the original has a sort of gray murkiness filter to the whole thing, this mm. has sort of a blue murkiness filter right. and a sort of ambient feel to the whole thing, much yeah. like uh, Insomnia did. It's a little slow moving at points. Uh, you're not always clear exactly on what's going on, but I think that's intentional. Uh, and at the ending, I gotta say, even I was not clear what exactly had happened. <laughs> go USA, that's all. Yeah, go USA! USA! USA, USA. is Heather. Greedy hands and everything. Um, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I don't think there's much to say. Not much it. else to say. Yeah. I, you know, if you're curious about the upcoming film, there you go. Um, I'm gonna pick something a little weird this week for the that that is out of character for my pick of the week. I mean, it was like uh, originally I was like, well, it's gonna be Legend of Korra, but after I saw Wolf Cop. I knew <laughs> only it was capable for being my pick of the week this oh, week. Uh, this absolutely batshit insane horror comedy from Canada from writer-director Lowell Dean that is about a alcoholic, beaten down, just kind of idiot of a cop in a small town who ends up becoming a werewolf. And basically it's the kind of werewolfism that's like Teen Wolf, where you're like, oh... So I can still think and function and talk and everything when I'm wolfed out and I'm super right. strong and have like all these abilities. And Teen and Teen Wolf, could he wolf transform any time? It doesn't have to be a full moon. Yeah, whenever he got upset. So in this, it has in to this, be a it full has moon. to be a full moon. Yeah, or some other series of effects that right. creates the same thing. And ultimately, it's leading up to an eclipse of the moon where this uh, dark cult ha- who has infected him in the first place wants to use his blood as a werewolf to achieve their goals. And I I don't want to tell too much about what their reasoning is because it takes away one of the funny surprises of the film. But I don't know. This is one of these very intentionally a Z-grade film that manages to, at least for me, works completely with what it's trying to do with its sense of humor balanced with level of gore but i get the feeling you don't didn't feel the same way i didn't i didn't think it was i mean is it really a batshit movie because to me it felt just very like straightforward like this is a wolf cop movie and this is like if you weren't trying to be campy this is kind of movie you would make don't get me wrong i found many parts of it good especially like the effects were I thought were great. Were especially good, yeah. They were pretty good. And uh, the whole, I mean, spoiler, I mean, Wolf Dick. Yeah. It's like a- the first transformation part is pretty awesome. But to me, like, it's just a very straightforward, like, this is a wolf cop. The only scene that I thought was, like, particularly, like, kind of batshit crazy was the jail sex scene. Yeah, which, which was, was, was so- kind of like HBO, like, porn, like, softcore. Tender. Yeah. loving sex scene with him fully wolfed out making love with a regular woman right and no don't show any graphic details it's just like very well there you know, are boobs 
Other boobs? Yeah. Well, boobs. I mean, not like... There's not like insertion. No, no, no. That's what I wanted, Chris. That's what I wanted. Yeah, when I Wolf, wanted when, some when Lars por- von Trier type shit. When the porn version Wolfcock comes out, <laughs> then maybe we'll see well, that. I mean, I, I, you're right. It has its good moments, but I do feel like. Well, I don't know. I'm trying to think of other movies to compare it to, like compared to like Hobo with a Shotgun, which is another movie that takes sort of like an old like B movie premise. And I, I like Hover with a Shotgun actually a lot. And I think this one doesn't have that same... Uh, it doesn't want to be as like good a uh, aesthetically as good a movie, except for the effects. The effects are top-notch. Yeah, they're all practical, which is nice. But I feel like it just looked like... Look kind of murky, and I don't know. I think that like the guy... And like the plot was kind of like... It felt like a... Not that I need a good plot in a movie called Wolf Cop. <laughs> let's be honest; it could have just been a Wolf Cop shooting. Like the best part of is the movie is when the Wolf Cop happens and he starts just like you know shooting it like a real cop, and he's just a fucking wolf, dude. When I I gotta say when he I mean first off, this is the attempt to make a a, a like a really B horror film that would have been made in 1983. You right. know, with like totally like no, this is going to be good. <laughs> uh, but like, whereas whereas Hobo and the Shotgun is very much a sort of like very self aware. We're going to go so over the top, you can't believe it. Version of that type of thing. Right. I guess what I liked about this was it didn't feel the need to go that far. It was like, yeah, eh, we pulled back in the way that made this actually not feel quite so cloying as some of those as movies like that and Machete Kills and stuff can be. Oh man, I hate the Machete. Oh, I do. But too. see, I feel like I, I'm I'm getting real picky, I guess, because because those movies I can appreciate them. But it's almost getting they're getting kind of tiresome. It's like, how do we make this from like the '80s, but like make it into something even like they have this thing called like Unicorn Cop or something now. Like, yeah. there's just all this shit that's like trying to like take a ridiculous concept and uh, look how crazy this concept is. Isn't isn't it funny already as a concept? We don't need to actually make a good film. I think actually, I mean, I'm being probably way too hard on this movie. I I wouldn't say I hated this movie. I would give this movie like a C. Dude, when he he decides one of the first things is a self-aware wolf cop to bring his car into like the body shop and trick it out as the wolf cop car with giant W's on it and everything. I was like, come on, man. You You had to but then it had a lazy ending, I feel like, too, where it just didn't, like, care about the plot, really. And, like, I like I, don't know. I didn't, I didn't dig it that much. I'm sorry. Hey, we got to disagree on something, Chris. Yeah, that's true. It was, it was about time. Well, we did disagree kind of on Eat, Drink, Man, Woman. Oh, yeah. Yeah, see? You were wrong about that one, too. Well, you know what? As long as we're wolfing out, let's talk about another werewolf film that came out this week, Late Phases, as it was originally called on its festival release. But now, Late Phases, colon, Night of the Lone Wolf, a completely unnecessary addition to the title. Hmm. Uh, But then again, there was a lot of things about this film I thought were kind of unnecessary. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, This is a good idea. That when it's not a werewolf film is actually a pretty interesting little movie. But when it is a werewolf film, is kind of lame and stupid. At least that's how I felt about it, anyway. Um, the, the idea here is that uh, Nick uh, Demisi plays a blind ex-veteran uh, who is, you know, he's, 
he's an old grizzled type who's like all business. His wife has died a while ago. He's like doesn't want really any help from anybody, but he has to. I mean, he has to live in this retirement community. It's like not a nursing home. It's like a, his own house in the middle of a community of aged folks. By the way, the redheaded old lady in this—that was Ginger from uh, Gilligan's Island. What? Yeah. Wait, which old lady? Yeah, you know the three old ladies who come to visit. Oh, him? nice. The redheaded one—that was Ginger from Gilligan's nice. Island. Yeah, I didn't even know she was still alive. But there <laughs> you go. Um. And his son, Ethan Embry, puts him in here. It feels weird about the whole thing to begin with. But his dad's very much a total misanthrope, doesn't really like people at all, just wants to be left alone with his guns and his dog. (laughs) Blind guy with guns. I just want to be left alone with my guns and dogs. But, of course, it turns out, as it does in almost every retirement community, that there's a werewolf running around that kills his dog, which I was like, you know, right there, I'm glad this wasn't Brian Salisbury's week to watch a movie because he would have been very upset to watch that. Um, Never kill the dog, I'm just saying. it's just Brian doesn't like dog killing? Brian is like, checks out the moment there's what about killing. cat killing? I don't think he minds quite as much. Oh, but he still okay. Like D- it. Double standards there, I, Brian. He still doesn't like it. It's just the dog is a more personal thing here. And it's badly handled here. Yeah, and it's sloppy. He's, and the werewolves, basically it's like him going, well, no one else believes in this wolf but me, so I'm going to start arming up with silver bullets. I'm going to pay this guy to make silver bullets <laughs> for me and be the guy who's going to take out this werewolf even though I'm completely 100% blind. And... None of this is very plausible, and no. the werewolves just look like dudes in furry suits that you'd buy at like Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds or any given costume store. Yeah, like a little bit, a little bit more elaborate, but yeah, yeah basically right. that. Um, but when it's just about him, like just trying to get along and dealing with his son and dealing with people in the town and people who like who <laughs> almost who, turning off people's life mach- support <laughs> machines. I actually liked those parts, and I think that was entirely due to the actor, but it was just too much to swallow, ultimately, this film, especially when it gets towards the end and the werewolf in question realizes he might be in danger, so he starts turning everyone else in the town into werewolves so he can to help him out. You're like, okay, so you're trying to tell me that a blind guy not only can, like, I mean, he didn't even home alone his house, which I think <laughs> would be the way you There should have been, like, a sequence of him, like, setting little... Cars yeah. on the ground and shit. Exactly. And with the A-Team music going, dun, 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 dun. Wait, okay, so I don't know this actor. Uh, you have seen him in stuff. Was he that old? I feel like they put old man makeup on him to make him look older. I don't know. They might have just been the, the, the eye pieces. Oh, you really? know, Because um, it seemed like they put a lot of powder on him to like and like liver spots on his face to make him. Or maybe he's just that old. Who knows? Yeah, uh, Nick Demisi, who I, who you is one of those character actors. You're like, where have I seen that guy before? Uh, he's an actor and screenwriter. He was in Stakeland, which is a nice little vampire film. Oh, so he's just done other like yeah horror he was little in, like we indie are what we films. are and Cold in July. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, all yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Um, he's. Uh, I wasn't sure if he was like in an old. He's 55, so he's not as old as he looks in here. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 55 is the new 35. When you said A-Team, I was like, wait, is he an (laughs) A-Team? No, no. Not that I'm aware of. (laughs) That would be cool, though. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, this was one of the ones a lot of people told me good things about, and the trailer looked pretty cool. It played South by. Yeah, and, the, and people told me, no, it was good. 
But uh, apparently his 2012 film, this director's 2012 film, Here Comes the Devil, is considered to be a pretty good movie. Right. But this, not so much. Just skip yeah. it, quite yeah. frankly. I mean, out of the wolf movies this week, I'd, I'd say... <laughs> out of the two wolf movies. Out of the two wolf movies, I would say uh, this one, definitely skip. Uh, my third most recommended film this week is the uh, or tv series is da vinci's demons season two now i have a weak spot for this stupid stupid show <laughs> it really is a dumb <laughs> dumb show but god i love it the idea is leonardo da vinci now he's like a guy and he's like i guess he's supposed to be like his early 30s or something uh he is you know he's leonardo da vinci he can do anything anything he does is good and uh it's a very much rewrite of history thing where, you know, like one of his assistants is, is Machiavelli, you know, like a young Machiavelli is <laughs> like just a kid at this point and just loves him to pieces. And, you know, all these other historical, uh, you know, like all these other historical characters just so happen. This sounds like a show I would hate. Like uh, Amerigo Vespucci <laughs> is like oh, a teams up with him to go. Wait, is this a star show? Yeah. Oh, well, that explains it. The season two is basically Indiana Jones, a season where they like go, oh, there's a new land on the other side of the ocean, according to these ancient artifacts that we decoded that all had moving parts and cool steampunky looking stuff. And so we have to steal a boat to take a chance and go across the ocean to find this new world, which in this case is South America, and uh, end up fighting a Mayan cult over there that has like this huge elaborate Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade level of protection to chase down this thing called the Book of Leaves which I, I'm not still not entirely clear what that's supposed to do for him but <laughs> whatever. Meanwhile uh, his uh, Meanwhile Raphael the I, <laughs> no, I just no. add, like back, all these- back in Florence, Italy which at this time was sort of a the Austin, Texas of Texas Right. The rest of the country, very conservative and Catholic and right wing. And Florence was very like, nope, we're like, you believe in whatever God you want. We're all about education and studying and like, you know, the arts and all this stuff. And it's really about the, 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 that area, uh, the, the Medici's like running it being attacked by the, the Pazzi family and the Vatican and everything trying to basically to get rid of that leadership and make it fall firmly under the, the head of the, 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 the leadership of the Vatican and end up being ruled by the Pazzi. Uh, this starts with sort of like that revolution going on and the, everything's flown totally into chaos and quickly, you know, works its way out of that into, okay, now we need to do this whole Indiana Jones story. <laughs> but it's it's one of those, like, it's not only, it's really silly and it's obviously not, it's just mildly based on the history, but it's so well done for what it is. It's really stupid fun. Every episode is fun. <laughs> Leonardo is like, he is the MacGyver of like his century. And I mean that very literally. He's like, he'll be like, what do we do? What do we do? And then the music will start up. I'll make some and, wings and, and it'll fly around. And he'll start looking around the room at stuff. And then you'll see this overlay of a Leonardo da Vinci type drawings. <laughs> I'm going to make a tank and you know, destroy He everything. makes a submarine. Oh my point. God. And, and that. They're like, and he just comes up with it off the top of his head, and he's like, "Hey guys, can you help me make a submarine?" Yeah, no problem. I guess like going into it, I'd have to just prepare myself to not give a fuck of the historical accuracy. Yeah, there's no because the historical you know accuracy. historically accurate probably wouldn't be as interesting. No, but uh, I can't help but think maybe they could try a little harder. I don't know. I mean, it's not that kind of show, though. I know. You know, I know. it's like. 
Indiana Jones wasn't real historically accurate either. <laughs> I know, but to me, like when I'm watching his, Indiana Jones, even that first scene in like the the temple, you're like, I'm imagining maybe there was like this cult. I don't know. I, what am I talking? about? I know. Well, I, I have fun with this. For what it's worth, it's like a period piece version of Alias, is what I've decided. Nice. Like, you remember how Alias was like started as a spy show and then became a quest for hidden underground temple shit yes. show. This is kind of what this same thing is doing with that same level of absurdity and improbability. This but still is well written and has a lot of fun actors that are clearly having a good time chewing up the scenery. Lots of good action, like really cool action and fighting scenes and sword fighting scenes. I don't know. This show is never boring. Does Quentin Tarantino make a cameo in it? No, like an he alias? does not make a cameo well, in this. Fuck. But uh, yeah, pretty good. A little bit of a the, the cliffhanger at the end of this is nowhere near as exciting as the cliffhanger at the beginning of the at the end of the last one. Uh, whereas here, I'm not really going to say what it is, but a lot of the the story is sort of like Leon, Leonardo doesn't know what happened to his mother, and part of this quest for him is a personal one because his mother is the one who ran off with this book of leaves and somehow <laughs> built this super elaborate like series of traps and temple and even a steampunk talking head of herself <laughs> so wait, is this like sort of a good uh thing to watch with annie because he's looking for his mother the whole time no <laughs> i think somehow leonardo has a soft spot I'm for not, his mother i'm not sure what would be a good thing to watch with annie maybe <laughs> like yeah nothing yeah just watch annie and let it rinse wash over you <laughs> Anyway, that's Da Vinci's Demons Season 2. I recommend the show. It is not for everyone, but oh my god, I have so much fun watching it. It's so big and stupid and, and wonderful. Anyway, uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Thank you so much for joining me, Sam. Yeah, of course. But before we sign off, we have two things to do. First off, we have to answer listener mail as we go and open up... The got mail that's right the letterbox thank you torgo and let's see we got to scroll down here and see if we have any questions no questions on that one <laughs> i posted it in a couple places right before we started so it's possible we're not going to have anything to ask oh wait five questions all right so we're going to be forced to answer at least two of these five uh, we'll just go down. Marvin, Marvin A. Lanier says, if Criterion was to take suggestions for their next title, what forgotten gem, not on DVD or Blu-ray, would you suggest to them? They can't be on DVD or yeah, Blu-ray? Yeah, I think that's a little too specific, okay, because there's not a lot that's not on DVD or Blu-ray. So we'll just say any film that Criterion hasn't put out yet, what, what one would you like to see get the Criterion treatment? Uh, I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, th- I know there's a lot that Criterion just can't get, but... I mean, I know they've tried to get a lot of Cronenberg's early stuff. I, w- I wish they would go and do, like, Shivers and The Brood. Right. You know? They could almost, yeah. I mean, they've done stuff like that. I'm sure they've probably sought it out. It's just hard to get that copyright. But uh, Yeah. Yeah, like, um, or, like, early Lynch stuff. Or... Um, a Mulholland Drive, shit. Or anything Kubrick, but I know that's all owned by Warner Brothers. Yeah. Um, the complete John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, Carpenter, man. I mean, what what is on? I mean, have has they put out uh, his first movie? What's what is it? Uh, well, oh, Dark Star. Yeah, have they put? I that don't on? think so. I don't know. I don't know if that'd be Criterion's cup of tea. Maybe. Maybe. They, I they mean, like they put out Kirby. offbeat stuff. They put out Repo Man for God's sakes. Yeah, I mean, after that came out, it's like all bets are off. All bets are off. Right? <laughs> totally. Uh, Nicoderm Breedlick. Bread, 
Breadlich. Breadlich, like liches in Dungeons and Dragons? I don't know. <laughs> uh, Nicodem Breadlich says, Marvel put you in charge of their next big movie. You can decide what? which comic book character to use and who to cast as the hero and the villain. Go. Oh, shit. Uh, uh, oh, fuck. Uh, it's Plastic Man. Oh, wait, that's DC. That's DC, yeah. Uh, so it's elongated man, so you're shit out of luck. Fuck. You'd have to go with Mr. Fantastic if you want a stretchy guy. Oh, jeez, yeah, I want a stretchy guy. <laughs> uh, you go. I don't know. Uh, you know, oddly, the first thing that comes to mind is Squirrel Girl, just because I think she'd make a hysterical thing. But no, that's not who I really want. Isn't she I- a Muslim? Yeah, I think so. No, it's- you're thinking of Miss Marvel. Yeah, who's the, like, Muslim... Uh, Ms. Marvel. I just want to see her be made into a movie so everyone will get all those right, racist get totally people irate. get pissed off. It'd be cool if she fought the Egyptian god Isis. Just, uh, <laughs> That'd be awesome. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would say, actually, and not so much hero-villain, but an adaptation of Marvel's book Next Wave, which is taking a lot of, like, minor characters and putting them in a super team in a very, very irreverent, sort of, almost sort of angry way uh, as they deal with... Like problems nobody else wants to deal with, and ultimately having to fight a evolved and now talking proper English devil dinosaur. <laughs> <laughs> Super awesome! Sounds awesome. Blair Regenwetter Reg- uh, says, "Any tips or tricks for cleaning up after your cat coughs up a hairball? Uh, yet yeah, when you hear them starting to cough, run at them and grab them and put them on the linoleum floor." <laughs> That's my secret. There you go, folks. Just get it before it comes up. Bradley Martin says, Is there ever a time when America should do a remake of a British film or TV show? Sure, why not? House of Cards. Yep. Uh, the Office. Uh, <coughs> yes. It's, yes. It's happened yeah. several times, and it has, has worked not as many times as it failed, but still, it works. Doctor so. Who, the American show? Yeah, not so much. No. Yeah. That would- Although I liked it, <laughs> I can see why it wasn't as popular. Boyd T. Atkins IV says, What is your favorite television series to not become syndicated? That I that's a really I have no idea. Um, lost syndicated Synd- syndicated is what three hundred episodes I think isn't it? Is lost yeah not syndicated? No lost. Well I mean who the hell plays syndication of a show like Lost? You know you're like I don't know you're like it's not. Like, I would think maybe someone just because like I mean in this day and syndication doesn't mean much for a lot with of shows Netflix like nowadays, that because with Netflix and stuff like that. You know? <clears throat> like, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of shows that like you know should have gone to more seasons. Freakazoid. Freakazoid was great. Love yeah. that show. Anyway, that's it for the questions, but we have one last thing to do, and that's our giveaway. And this is something I did not actually get to see, mainly because I had not watched the first two seasons of the show. However, it's one of those shows I've been meaning to catch up on. I hear it. Rec- I have it recommended to me all the time, and that is the television series Longmire. What we've got here is the third season on Blu-ray of this, uh, of this A&E television show, that's about Walt Longmire, a Wyoming County Sheriff who returns to work after his wife's death and assisted by his friends and his daughter, he investigates crimes within his jurisdiction while he's trying to get reelected. It's kind of a... Uh, people keep telling me, if you like Justified, you'll really like Longmire, too. And I love Justified, just haven't actually watched the show. Um, Robert Taylor plays Walt Longmire. Katie Sackhoff from Battlestar Galactica plays Sheriff's Deputy. Lou Diamond Phillips is his best friend. <laughs> it actually seems like a pretty great show. Anyway, we've got season three for you here, if you want it. And what you do is you have to uh, get on Twitter first, and you have to like us, or, yeah, friend us, like us, whatever, on Twitter, one of us, net. And with the hashtag Longmire Giveaway, you have to say, uh, if you were to make a... Uh, if you were to make a superhero movie 
that was a Western, what characters would you want in it? Does that sound all right? That sounds great. I can't even think of anything offhand, but... Uh, like, what what superheroes should be in a Western? Like, I whether think they, of a lot of villains that would be great in... Whether they time travel to it, or... It's like, I just can imagine all the Batman villains and... Okay, I'm not all giving you right, Don't ideas. spoil give people ideas. I won't give them ideas. Yeah. Anyway, that's it for Digital Noise this week. Thank you so much for joining me, Sam. Uh, we'll be back. Sorry? I wasn't going to say anything. Uh, you went... <gasps> uh, uh, Thanks, Chris. You're that's welcome. That's all I was going to say. <laughs> right up. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a little bit of that ring ding a doo Fuck kids, right? Fuck's... <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Your Honor! <laughs> I think this tape speaks for its... I want a new prosecutor. <laughs> Wait, yeah, you can't not do how it that. works. Yeah, you can't do that. Anyway, uh... As we say every week, no release is too big, no release is too small. From Criterion to Catastrophe, we review most of them. Oh, wait, no, them all. Some of them. Occasionally. 